We're back. We're back. We are truly back. It's the distraction. I'm Drew. That's my co-host, David Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. Great to be talking to you on the podcast again. We have a uh, we have a new production company, so that's why I introduced you by your full name, in case people who already subscribe and listen to this podcast didn't know who you were. You might be Eli Roth. Who's to say? Yeah. It is the auteur behind um, Hostile 2. That's the one. That's the one with the boys in it. You know, I've uh, never watched an Eli Roth film. I've only seen him acting in Tarantino movies. Like, like I saw Death Proof on the plane to uh, to Minneapolis, which I did not like. Like, usually, like a Tarantino movie, like I'm gonna like it, even if I know there are like enormous plot holes in it and just flaws and like way too many feet shots. You know what I mean? Yep. This movie, I was like, this is a bad movie. This, movie as I recall, blows. Death Proof definitely delivers on the feet stuff. Oh my god! Basically, right, right everything else is lacking. Right, right from the opening credits, it's just boom, feet. Like, okay, all right, all right. We we get it, Quentin. We know what Which you're is, about. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things where if that's the only part of the, the Quentin Tarantino experience that you're able to deliver is like Rosario Dawson's arches, then somebody at the <laughs> studio needs to be like, man, there needs to be characters in this as well. Like, those characters are allowed to have feet. You're even allowed to show them. You just need to do more than that. Well, we, we had a, a long hiatus because uh, we were switching over uh, to the folks at, at Multitude. Uh, and I want to tell you that like it was really nice and I feel refreshed after the break and taking my family to Paris. I feel none of those things. Yeah, I'm same. absolutely <laughs> as fatigued as I was when we left. So that is fucking yeah, cool. That is a pain in the ass. I absolutely know what you're talking about. Like if we had, uh, you know, Christmas was great. I didn't work for a while. Like that was also cool. Right. And then... But yeah, as soon as you flip the switch and you're back, like sort of on a work cadence in January with days that are like three hours and 17 minutes long, uh, that sucks. And I hate it. And I had a really hard time keeping my wits about me in the way that I would have liked to. So yeah, this is this is good. I'm glad that we are, for all of that month spent recharging and refreshing our uh, creative batteries. This is exactly what it would sound like if we'd been doing this podcast every hour of every day from the very start of 2023. I'm also, frankly, I'm extra innovated because uh, I went, yeah, I mean, I, there's no secret about this. I went to the Vikings Giants game. I went to, to Minnesota for that game. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up. No, I, I mean, it would have been rude to bring I'm it up. I'm still fucking exhausted because I mean, the game itself, you know, obviously they lost and that's, it's always tiring to watch your team lose, you know, and that always sucks. But also like I had to work that game. So I had to show up at the stadium, I was at the stadium three to four hours before kickoff. Yeah. I had to go to a press box, set up my shit, like get ready. And then I had to go to my seat to watch the game. But then I had to come back and I had to work after the game was over. Right. So I had, I had uh, access to the locker room and this isn't going to make it, I don't think it's good. This part's going to make it into the story because it. It's just not going to work. But like, so I go down, I'm in like the basement of the Viking stadium and I have access to uh, the interview room where like Kevin O'Connell stands in front of a bunch yeah. of logos and, you know, and signage and, you know, explains why, you know, X call was shit. And while he's not going to fire, he's, he has to watch the tape before he fires his defensive coordinator, even though he's totally going to do that stuff <laughs> like that. And I was told, I was like, Oh, where's the interview room? And one of the uh, security people says, oh, that way. So I go in and I walk in, but I'm not in the interview room. I'm boom. I'm right in the middle of the fucking locker room. 
all the Vikings, all these guys I've watched for fucking years are just standing around all heartbroken, just husks of men. Like some of them haven't showered yet. I see like an ass and like, I haven't done this before Roth. I'm not a beat guy. Like, and so I'm a deer in headlights. Like I stand around like one of my friends, Matthew Collar is there like interviewing people. And I almost go over to him to just be like, what do I do? Like, yeah. can I just talk to these people? Like, I don't know if I can talk to the players. Like, like, and I don't mean like as a person, like that was difficult enough already because I'm a fan, but like, like guys have their backs, like our guys are turned toward the locker with their shirt off, which am I supposed to read that as I am not to be approached right now when I turn around, that's when it's okay for me to take questions. So like, I don't, I'm standing around like a fucking pud. All these guys are heartbroken. Justin Jefferson's in one corner of the room with all the cameras on him. And I see players free and I'm like, should I, like Adam Thielen's free. And I'm like, can I just go talk to, like, is that allowed? Can I go talk to Adam Thielen? Is that, okay. So yeah. I do it. And when I do it, I am fucking awful. I'm so bad. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, so um, Adam, how are you doing? Like I asked him how he was doing. Like as I, if, because you'd like come to think of him as your friend over the years where you're like, I was worried about you, man. But I'm, you know I'm what glad. it was? I'm so used to doing celebrity profiles for like GQ and other places where it's all prearranged and like we know it's gonna be a deep dive for the day. So like I can go and I can like talk to you like at a cafe and and I'll, the opening paragraph of the profile will be like what he ordered and wow yeah, he drove himself yeah. here he didn't have a chauffeur drive him wow he's like a here's real how person. Chris Pratt puts ketchup on his burger yep a thousand percent but like this is a completely different circumstance I'm talking to him at the, like the worst moment of his professional life and I'm asking him how he's doing and he's like like did he, he did he treat you guys, like an asshole or was he like not great no no they were <laughs> feel all bad. I talked to him and I talked to Harrison Smith. They were both unfailingly polite because they're so used to stupid questions from the media. But it was really like, I felt like a fucking middle schooler who had won a competition to interview these guys. So the few times I've been in the locker room, it's been the same thing for me. Only what I did was way more cowardly than what you did, which was find the spot where actual journalists were interviewing people and then just hang around the back. Right. (laughs) Taking notes, being like, whatever this guy asked Robert Griffin III was probably... Something like what I would have asked if I wasn't afraid to talk right now. And that was how I managed it, which uh, I, I will worry about this part. Like I did not know what to ask because first of all, I was not prepared to go into the locker room. Like I was prepared to go in the interview room, Yeah, but I was still like in fan mode. And so I was still decompressing from the game itself and did not think to write down questions to ask these men. And I couldn't even remember the particulars of the fucking game. I remember there was like a failed Philly special call that sucked. And I remembered the fourth down call that everyone at the end that everyone is, you know, everybody is like, oh my God, I can't believe they threw short of the sticks. That's all I remember. The rest is like an absolute fucking fog, even though I was dead sober, but I could not summon any of that into my brain in that moment. I was just like, it sounds like asking the question, how are you doing is actually given the type of story that you're going to write, probably the right thing to do because you're not writing a gamer. So you don't need to be like, you know, do you remember in like week 16, there was a scenario where like you ran an out pattern and like, who fucking cares, dude. That's like, it certainly they, I don't think that Adam Thielen would have cared about that at that moment. No, but this doesn't have to be like make Drew feel good about it. No, I, I think that's right. This, this isn't the, the Mindy project. This, like I can, but I, what, I, what I wanted to say was that 
it gave me, and this is very corny, but like it gave me a respect for what beat writers do, but also like it made me understand there's a system to this. Like eventually I was able to get into like asking Harrison Smith, like very standard boilerplate questions. Like, you know, uh, you know, would you, you know, why'd you have such, such trouble stopping, you know, uh, Daniel Jones with his feet, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, his answers were boilerplate in response. These guys are so used to it. It's just like it's almost like uh, you're entering into like a different language, and yep. everyone's talking in code, and that's just how it is. Well, it's and like a service not- situation, right? It's like making small talk at a coffee shop or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like you're just- there to like be nice, and they're there to give you the thing that you're coming in to get, and you can like you know have that interaction without actually ever switching your brain on at all. Right, because I could be like. I could be like, I'm no ordinary journalist. I'm Drew McGarry. And like, right. try to ask like really pointed, like different questions that throw them off. But that's like, that's Super Bowl shit. Like yeah. that is absolute Super Bowl media night shit. So, and I, so I ended up not doing any of that. So, you know, I'm going to end up talking about, you know, what I saw in the locker room, because what you see in their faces tells you so much more than what they're actually saying. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that, and, and honestly, it the whole story is going to be about myself anyway. So but I every like, story ends up that way. Yeah, but also there's a – I think that there are different kinds of stories to write. I remember the one real experience that I had covering a significant sports event over the course of a long period of time was when I was at Vice and I was covering the Mets run through the NLCS and then to the World Series. And and, uh, and I don't remember what happened in that World Series. They probably won. Uh, but it's not really important who won the 2015 World Series. Uh, no, no, and that was and that wasn't why I was writing it. But no. at some point, I realized it was you know that there were all these other people that had different jobs than me that were covering it in different ways. That there was you know there was going to be the Ken Rawls, Rosenthal sort of overview, and then there was going to be the beat guys coming in after each game. And my job was to write about like the feeling of being there. That's like the one thing I was really qualified to do. And so like the stuff that I did that those guys weren't doing, like going to the karaoke night at the Holiday Inn Express and Corona or whatever and like taking the temperature of that room and stuff. That's like almost like journalism, but not quite. You know, it sort of is, but it's mostly being a a weirdo. It's like snooping around the corners of a room and being like, everyone seems happy, you know, and that – it, that still counts. Like, I feel like you have to accept that there's more to this experience than just getting the exact right bit of analysis from Harrison Smith at the single worst moment of his sporting life. Well, also, the money move is to not go to the stars. It's to go to, you know, the yeah. bench players or the bit players because they're they're, they're going to be available, first of all. And, like, you know, I think they're going to be happy for the attention, but really they all just want to be left alone so that they can go yeah. home and have a beer and chill the fuck out and contemplate the fact that some of them aren't going to be there next year. Like a lot of them probably won't, you know? How, if I can ask, how was Minneapolis outside of the fact that the football game sucked? Did you well, have I'm a good gonna, time? I'm going to write about all that. Yeah, I had a great time. Like yeah. I had a, so I had a great time at the game because it was my first time going to a Vikings home game since 1989. So I was just like, wow, holy shit. Like there's leg room in my seat and there are fucking purple fireworks. And Tommy Kramer's not here anymore. Everyone else around me is a Vikings fan. Like I've never had that happen. So I was like, I was happy as a pig in shit. So even though they lost, I walked out of the stadium feeling kind of good. If I had watched it on TV, I would have been 
fucking miserable. I'd yeah. be miserable right now. Instead, I'm talking to you on a podcast. Yeah, we did it. Who even cares who wins a football game? How are you feeling as a Flaps Giants fan? Are you happy with your boy Danny Dimes? You think they can do it? They can beat the, the evil Eagles and their QB sneaks? Well, no, I don't okay. think that. But I was, I've been pleased with uh, this Giants season overall. I wouldn't say I'm a lapsed Giants fan. I'm just trying to like be reasonable about it, which is not a winning approach to caring about sports. I think we can both. Yeah, you gotta be. Much. You gotta be delusional. You it's gotta get in there and delusional. fuck it up. Just be yeah. stupid. That's yeah, the only way to make it work. And, a thousand percent. Well, see, uh, that doesn't come naturally to me though because I'm so smart and I have such emotional control over myself. So in this case, with the Giants, I knew. I mean, they were so much better than I expected them to be this year. Like, I didn't even think they would be watchable, and they were always watchable. Yeah. And in this case, I think the the bit that stands out to me the most, and I don't, like, Daniel Jones is a guy that I considered on Sunday just kind of discreetly removing all of the times that I've been very rude about him from Twitter as a bit, and also, you know, just for hygiene purposes. It turns out I mostly haven't posted about him since, like, 2021. He's not very good. And I was sure that that was about the end of the story or that he would eventually evolve into kind of a responsible Ryan Fitzpatrick grade backup where, you know, he's always like backing up a quarterback. He's slightly better than and you can have a nice long career and make a lot of money doing that. The fact that Brian Dable was able to get him to like 65 to 70 percent of Josh Allen in one year makes me feel like, first of all, Dable's a genius uh, in a way yeah. that they're I, a well-coached team. They have a good coach. Yeah. And then also that, like, maybe it is unfair to judge a guy who has spent most of his career working for fucking Joe Judge. <laughs> you know, that, like, that there might be more to it contextually than I was prepared to accept. Because, I mean, Jones was, was heroic in that game. Also, he's not throwing to, like, high-quality NFL receivers. Like, these are – it's – waiver wire chaff for the most part. I mean, and the the most reliable veteran receiver that they had dropped an easy pass that would have ended the game and very nearly fucked up their entire season at the very yeah. end, Darius yeah. Slayton. Aaron? And so there's, I don't know or have really any idea what Daniel Jones's ceiling might be, but it is, he is already well clear of it. Like that game alone was a lot better than I ever would have expected uh, it to go. Well, frankly, so, you can't necessarily neat. go by that game because the Vikings just can't play defense. Like, yeah, can't. I was kind of shocked by that. I mean, I think that <laughs> you should not have. Been. Well, I know, but I mean, ah. they were good. And like the personnel is like, I know the names of the guys. They just were not able to really like do the basic tackling stuff that I sort of expected them to do. That was the bitch of it is that I liked all the players on that defense, but they were awful. They were they a really bad were. defense. It was, it didn't make any sense to me, but it seems fixable. I think for both of us, like, so I think the giants are going to get dog walked by the Eagles. Cause the Eagles are really good. And the giants are just a team that has in a kind of a heroic way managed not to lose to a team that's much worse than them uh, for most of the year, which is, you know, you can get to nine wins that way. You can get to the playoffs that way. But that's right. The, uh, you know, at least in the NFL as it is presently constituted, I don't think that that's enough to get you past an actually good team in the divisional round of the playoffs. But you know, well, it's it's what makes it so interesting uh, this weekend because uh, in the NFC, you have the Giants who have to go play the Eagles, and then you have uh, the Cowboys who beat the shit out of Tom Brady. 
and theoretically send him into the retirement home uh, on Monday night. But we all know that that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, we're going to get five weeks of like, like, I always hate that during the game where it's like, well, if it's his last game, well, it's been quite a ride. And they say it like every 10 minutes. I know. And you know he's not going to fucking retire any of that shit. It's also great because it's like they keep trying to, it's a classic bad announcer tick where they're trying to like pin the emotional gravity of the moment like as it's happening where they're like that might be the last incomplete pass of Tom Brady's career <laughs> like, probably not dude <laughs> like it's second down everybody needs to relax you get to like do the retrospective afterwards so the Cowboys they have to go to San Francisco and they have to go against Wonder Boy Brock Purdy and so I mean it'll be a weekend where the Giants will not be favored the 49ers will um, but there's every possibility because I've seen Brock Pur- Purdy play in like every fifth pass is really befitting of his draft status. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, it's like, are these actual quarterbacks? Like, I think that it, whether or not it's fair or not, I think that the results of these this weekend's games will go a long way to having people answer that in their minds. So like, yeah. if if Daniel Jones eats shit against the Eagles and just gets fucking destroyed, no one's going to give a fuck about how he did in Minnesota. And if Brock Purdy just absolutely wilts because Micah Parsons just fucks him up in between doing shitty tweets. Like then we're going to know, okay, this was all, this was all fun and games with Brock Purdy, but like, this isn't actually going to go anywhere. Yeah. I think that's the, the way that I try to think about it is, and Ray had some uh, Ray Ratto when we were on the, the NFL amp last week, a couple weeks ago, Ray Ratto of defector of defector. defector.com had been talking about how, <laughs> uh, like, the 49ers have this system that's kind of ingeniously, but also not necessarily wisely built to win without good quarterback play. Without, like, not even just, like, remarkable quarterback play, but that basically it's designed so that you wouldn't need anything more than what Brock Purdy or Jimmy G or Trey Lance or whoever could provide. Right. Which is, like, smart if you can do it, but it's the sort of thing, I, like, there's a reason why teams don't do that. There's a reason why you don't see a baseball team where they're just sort of like, we're not putting an emphasis on pitching this year. Like, you need all of this stuff. It's very, very hard to win a football game at a high level, you know, under any circumstances, let alone when you take something as important as that off the table. I was surprised a little bit. I mean, the 49ers did wind up pulling away in that game, and they do look awfully good. I think that Kyle Shanahan has a tendency to maybe outthink himself a little bit. And early in that game, when- A Shanahan doing that? I know, right. This is people are going to get mad at me for my polarizing comments. <laughs> but there was a lot of like a lot more throwing than running going on early in that game, and I was like, yeah. this is the one way that you could lose. Like this is the one. I think the Giants have no chance but to rely on Daniel Jones. Like they don't really. I mean, they have a great running back. They have a bunch of replacement level, more or less receivers. They have to let Jones do cook? the most that he can do. They have to let him cook. They have to let Danny Dimes cook. I agree, Drew. <laughs> but they, but the Niners, it's like they just need to not have Purdy do too much, I think. And if and he seems like absolutely poised enough and capable enough that if he's there as a counterpunching thing, then like, yeah, they could win the Super Bowl. I don't see any reason why not. It's just going to be weird, as you were saying, that like because of how his limitations present themselves – 
I feel like when the wheels come off of it, or even when it starts to wobble a little bit, it is going to look really jarringly bad. Yeah, and that's it w- just it. It's a sort of thing that I feel like the Titans have tried to ride this for a few years now, right? Yeah. Where it's you have the a very remedial offense where tons of running, tons of play action, and you create this um you create this environment for the quarterback where a lot of your throws are very, very fucking easy. Like Brock mm-hmm. Purdy is more often than not throwing to receivers who are wide open, like yep. real Ken Dorsey shit. Like, you know, like real college kid shit where it's like, you could make that throw, right? Yeah. And so it's like, okay, there always is a moment. You can get through a regular season. You can win 10, 11, 13 games doing that. But then there comes a time in the postseason where you're going to get a monkey wrench like, you know, someone like Micah Parsons who can fuck all that up instantly. Or if you get to the NFC title game, Anyone on the Eagles defense, like, because it's a really fucking good defense. Any of those players, like Hassan Reddick or any of those guys, they can fuck it up. So then it's going to be a question of, okay, is Brock Purdy really good enough where if he's got Micah Parsons about to fucking crawl up his ass, he can still fire off a pass to Brandon Ayuk in a tight window. Right. Or if he's in a position where the team is down such that he needs to throw the ball 20 yards downfield, is he capable of doing that? I don't know that I've seen him really do that. Yeah. So I'm, I kind of hope that he's good. Like, yeah, same. It's been fun. Like he seems, it's a great story. And I think the 49ers are as NFL teams go decently likable. Yes. Uh, yeah, I want to I want to hate Kyle, but like he's a really good coach. It's annoying cuz he's a nepo baby, but he's a fucking good coach, man. Yeah. The team has a lot of uh, you know, sort of guys whose dads you don't remember fondly and yet like <laughs> yeah, like I can't be bad at Christian McCaffrey either, you know? And I no, not a, Mc, that that I was trade not a was, fan of Ed. That trade was fucking genius. They're like cuz whenever Purdy is in a tight spot, he can dump it off to McCaffrey and McCaffrey will just scoot for 25 yards and then presto, it's first down. Yeah. It's really cool. It's fun though. This is the week coming up to me is the best week of the NFL season. It's the oh, one that I, I really look forward to the most. And because it's, you know, very rare that you get, and uh, whatever, like all due respect to the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's really rare to get like this many games without any duds in them. Like even last week, like some of the games were a lot better than I expected, but like this is cool. It's going to be fun to watch football. It's always the best weekend of the season. And honestly, like, it's kind of a relief that it's only four games. Like, yeah. I know they liked touting Super Wildcard wild card Weekend, but, like, the six games, it's, it was a lot of football. I was, I was definitely footballed out by Monday night. I was, yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, this, this slot, this is going to be our time when we take an ad break on the new but old distractions. So, at some point, you're going to hear ads in this slot. But not this week. This week, you're only going to hear ads for an imaginary uh, online sports book that I invented just yeah. right now. I was going to say, we should come up with something. I'm going to do a new type of like men's underpants concern, and you can do do your sports book thing. Let's do it. Oh, no, I didn't, I, I, I didn't have it off the top of my head. I wrote it in my head last night, but then I forgot about it. Days Instead- are made with space-age polymer that stretches. We'll just we'll just take a break and we'll we'll talk about where Melissa Stark rates on the smoke scale right back <laughs> after this. Awoo. We're back from our fake ad break and thanks to our sponsor, Bareback Sportsbook. When you're letting it ride, ride bareback with them. <laughs> 
Roth, we uh, we have to talk about the other side of the uh, the playoff bracket because the Bills and the Bengals they play this weekend in a rematch, and I don't even know if I can call it a rematch because their first game, of course, was aborted because of Demar Hamlin's uh, terrifying injury. Will that be awkward personally, Roth, for you to watch that game, or will there be so much happy-go-lucky coverage of Hamlin's recovery? They'll be rendered a normal game for you within five minutes of kickoff. I, I know how the NFL will treat it and yes. how the broadcast networks will treat it. But. I wonder if it's the sort of thing, and this is, again, just assessing my own personal uh, degree of sports-related brain damage, is if that element of it is so overwhelming, which I think it might be, that I might wind up working myself into a shoot, to use the wrestling term, and putting myself in, like... The spot where, like, I'm more upset about the coverage than I am about the fact that I was watching three weeks ago when someone almost died and these teams were playing. And instead, I'm just sort of be like, that was over the top. That narration before the thing where they had Giancarlo Esposito crying about, like, the fragility of life. That would be I could definitely get annoyed about this in a way that allows me to forget what I'm actually annoyed about. It's probably the best case scenario, honestly. I think it's going to be very strange. I also feel like the, uh, you know, we've talked about this a bunch on the site in terms of like how the the Hamlin story has been used and, you know, sort of misused and understood and misunderstood. The fact that he appears to be making a miraculous recovery is like, I want to have that as an excuse to stop thinking about it, because when I have to think about it as, you know, during Monday night's game, Russell Gage suffered a neck injury and, you know, the sort of absolute physical trauma that is normal over the course of an NFL game. And at the time it hit me really hard. I was just like, what am I fucking doing? Why am I even watching this? Why are they still doing this? Like they shouldn't they just call the football game off. Everyone's really sad. Just let Brett Meyer, Mar go sit in the dark for a little while. I was going to ask you, uh, did Kayvon Thibodeau run onto the field when Gage got hurt to do snow angels right there? There was a moment where Thibodeau was injured in the game against the Vikings, and I had the thought of someone from the training staff doing snow angels next to him to, to, to torment him. But And then Quay Walker comes out and shoves that trainer shoves him into just the like, dirt. Yeah, this is all. <laughs> but this is, it's such a challenging thing to think about if you think about it. And I'm so used to not thinking about it. Right. At some point, I think that. For better or worse, like, I have just developed the capacity to watch this stupid, irresponsible thing and just kind of let it happen to me without really, not without a moment's pause or whatever, but not without being derailed there. I'm assuming that, because you've been very, like, open about this, and you wrote about it, I think, pretty effectively, where you were just sort of, like, I've made my deal with this shit. Like, I'm not going to, like, not in the sense that you're, like, I don't care, but in the sense where you're sort of past the idea that there is uh you know an outer boundary to what you're willing to put up with well i just um i think that a couple of things can be true where i can be irritated at the nfl milking it for all it's worth and you know going the full spielberg with it and hammond will probably be at that game and we'll see a lot of shots and all that stuff and a lot of it will feel a bit um you know belabored or whatever well, I can also say to myself that actually, yes, it's 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 a great story. I'm glad he recovered. I'm glad his teammates are so happy for him. I wrote something last week about that, and it was too much in the other direction. It was like, it was like it's all good, you know. Paint every field, hand out every shirt. Let's do it. And Tom Lay was like, "You've gone too far, Drew." And I was like, 
And I was like, you know what? You're probably you're probably right. So I, I pulled it back and I I realized that um it's okay to have conflicting feelings about this stuff. And then it's it's okay to watch the games because I really like watching the games and I, I can't quit football. I just can't. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like it fits really comfortably into the broader experience of being alive and participating in the culture in the United States at this moment, that there's a lot of stuff that sucks, you know, and you have to look past it to sort of function or to do the the basics. It's just, it's hard to feel good about any of that, <laughs> you know, like it doesn't make it suck less. Because we're all just to push back. Like it's very easy to ruminate on the bad things that are happening. Like, Oh, I, this clown George Santos. Oh, I can't believe he made it into Congress and all that stuff. But then you're really depriving yourself of the chance to remember good things, you know, like sunsets. remember some, some better Congress people. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah I, like, I think it's a question of what you do with it though. Right. Because I think everybody holds both of those thoughts in their head at the same time. You kind of have, I mean, not everybody, but I think that's the way that you do it. Where it's sort of like, I've been fascinated by the George Santos thing. I am eventually going to write about it. But mostly I think it's it's funny. Like, I think it's obviously a symptom of a terrible malady that is afflicting the entire country. But it is like, as symptoms go, that is a, a very funny rash. It's you fucking know? hilarious. Yeah. He looks... He looks like a guy impersonating a congressman named George Santos. Like He also has one of my favorite ticks for reactionary politicians where all of his his online persona as with a lot of these guys is like replying to Adam Schiff and being like why don't you go cry about it in the girl's bathroom you big <laughs> bitch and then every time you see him anytime a camera is on him he has the affect of like a six-year-old that has just skinned his knee and is trying really hard not to cry like every photo of him he's like hitting some crazy Mr. Bean face while sitting in the, the gallery so it I think it's instructive to see like that conflict between, you know, that persona, which is how all these guys are trying to be just like an elite operator who is out there like protecting our kids and defending Trump. And then like in real life, they're just like wimpy guys at Dunkin Donuts. They're Milton from fucking office space, you know, and that's. Like, I think it's worth bearing that in mind. As yeah, at you. least at least Joe Manchin is a legitimate cock, like in real life, too. Yes. Like, like he's the guy who would be like, you take my gas stove from my from my dead hands, brother. Like, he's he's talking how he tweets, whereas, like, if yes. there's a disconnect of George Santos being a fucking keyboard warrior and, like, fulfilling out every last stereotype of people being online that I have tried myself to disprove over the course of my career <laughs> while yeah. I'm scared to death to talk to one of my favorite players in the Vikings locker Oh, come on. Uh, You're allowed. Oh, uh, wait, we should talk about the uh, the other game, which is Chiefs-Jaguars. And the Jaguars came back from 27 nothing down uh, to beat the Chargers because, of course, they beat the Chargers. The and Chargers. Also, I got to tell you, Roth, I was, um, I was in Minneapolis, and I was watching that game in a bar, and I have not watched a football game in a bar in a very, very long time. Like, we're talking years here. And I'm stoned off my ass. And so I'm like, it's 27 nothing. So I'm barely paying attention. And the only reason that I know to turn my head and look back at the score is because on the other side of the bar, there's a group of women who are like going fucking crazy every time the Jags score. So they're either... They're either Jaguars fans, which seems 
really unlikely, right? Yeah. Or they're drunk, which seems much more like unlikely. likelier. Right. Or they had money on it. And yeah. like the last two things can be true at the same time. But anyway, they're like, woohoo! Like every time like the Chargers fuck up and and the Jaguars score. And so I start looking and I'm I'm stoned off my ass and I'm, you know, I'm saying to Matthew Collar, because we're both there for the Vikings game, I'm like, are you seeing this shit? And then it happened. <laughs> like, oh my. Oh I like God. the idea that you were so high that you were like, this can't be real. Like, oh. are the Jags doing well right now? Or is it like, did someone lace this? No, it was the very standard stoner reaction of what? Yeah. What? Huh? <laughs> what? That's me. All like, if I'm, if I'm stoned around the house and my wife is like, tells me something and I'm like, you're going to, you're going to Chicago? She'll be like, all what? right, you're, I'm writing you off for the night. You're <laughs> yeah, done. Like, gonna close. Why don't you get in your, in your music chair and listen to some music, buddy? I'm yep. going to handle some stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so the Jaguars have to go play the Chiefs, who appear to me now, particularly after the way uh, uh, that Buffalo and Cincinnati played in the uh, the wild card round, because both of them should have won their respective games by about a thousand points because they were going against scrub quarterbacks. They didn't. Both of them were lucky to get out of those games. So it seems to me like the Chiefs are like by far the favorite right now, not just to win the AFC, but probably to win the Super Bowl. But is there anything about the Jaguars' magic that should? Give me pause there. The Jagic. I don't think, yeah, the, the Jagic. That's, I don't Somehow think that so. I don't know. I mean, like, I think that they were, they were much spunkier and braver against the Chargers than I would have uh, expected them to be. Like, they seemed to me, and you were, this is a moment where you are being modest, that you actually did predict before the season that the Jags would be good. Yes, I thought they would be good, and I thought the Giants would be good. But and also, I did not agree with either of those at all. But I also picked a Bucks Chargers Super Bowl. So, you know, we got to keep that. I well, picked the I mean, Vikings the Chargers, to go to the NFC title game, too. And that didn't happen. <laughs> well, everybody gets some things wrong. I just think yes. that getting the Jags right is like much more impressive to me than any of the other shit. Because I, I assumed right. that they would get better strictly through an addition by subtraction element with, you know, just removing Urban Meyer from the equation makes things 30% better just that, for having done that. That is exactly what happened, Roth. That I think is it correct. is more or less what happened. I mean, if you think of Doug Peterson as sort of not a replacement level, you know, NFL coach, but maybe something kind of like that, like just a guy that knows how to be a coach, but not doesn't know everything about how to be a coach. And you can sort of plug him in and He's a good, you know, competent NFL head coach. He's won a Super And the Bowl. team plays hard for him, and he doesn't ask his guys to do stuff they can't do. I mean, again, which just seems to be the answer to all of this shit. You know, is Also, unlike being... Urban, he seems to know who's on the team and who is right. not. So that's yeah. pretty good. So these are the, these are the notes for uh, incoming NFL coaches who are listening to this podcast. Don't be a jerk. Learn the guys' names. Don't try to make them do stuff that they don't know how to do. And then maybe you too can go get fucking wiped out by the Chiefs in uh, the divisional round of the playoffs, which is what I think is going to happen too. But uh, I do want, uh, before we uh, get to the guy of the week and the fun bag, I want to ask you about uh, the Mets. I have Mets chat with you for just a second because while we yeah. were gone, uh, your Mets, they walked away like the Giants did from Carlos Correa after studying his uh, ankles high school transcript extra closely. And they left Correa to re-sign with the Twins at a big discount. I mean, Correa lost $120 million out of this, yeah. I think. So yep. you wrote about this for Defector. You wrote about how you'd rather have Correa than see the Mets perform a bit of risk mitigation with, like, contracts and, and you know, 
you, you know, thinking about uh, mitigating their risk 10 years down the line rather than right now, right? Do you feel like every fan feels the way you do, that they would just rather have the good player? Or has GM brain become so endemic among fans that they now legitimately think that what's good for a team's payroll is also good for them? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I've been trying to sort of figure it out because so much of the way that I experience this stuff is through online, which is, you know, just because that's the way that you could get some sense of what 32 different fan bases are doing or whatever. Nobody's at their best online. The online version of any community is going to be the most perverted and uh, disgusting of any. That's just how the world works. Except Defector. Except Defector. Our it's people are normal and totally they're even cool. handsomer online than they are in real life. That's so true. Which is really remarkable. Kind of funny, actually. you know. Yeah. Oh, and, and but also very, very modest and humble in a lot of ways. Just normal men. We he, haven't gone too far with the we, joke. We, we can milk no, this I don't joke think for so. I don't think, I think we're not done. <laughs> but I think that there is a GM brain problem in sports that is, I don't know how big it is necessarily, but I do feel like if you're cheering for a team that is not giving you anything to watch, you can sort of talk yourself into the idea of Mike Elias's seven-year plan or Jerry DePoto's 13 or 16-year plan or whatever it is that these GMs are giving you instead of viable baseball to watch. And I think that I want to believe that when the moment comes and if a a plan like that works, like if you look at what the Orioles have been doing, that they, you know, absolutely ate shit for five years on purpose, a humiliatingly bad major league product that they never even bothered trying to improve. Nope. It has worked in the sense that their farm system is amazing. They're producing, they've had the back-to-back number one prospects in the minors. They basically just, one got promoted and another guy took over. That's impressive. But if they don't try to make the team better, then you are cheering for executive machinations and transactions and scouting. Yeah. And that's not the same thing as baseball. And to me, because they haven't tried yet, that's where you want to see people, not even just like in an abstract sense, you know, remember that you're watching baseball and that that's the fun of it. But I think there's an element of self-respect to it that like you deserve better. If you're going to care about a baseball team, the people that own that team and run it should be trying to give you something worth caring about. And I don't know that that's necessarily gone, but I do feel like it's more complicated in terms of how people talk about it and think about it than I think it actually is in real life. It's probably exacerbated by like Madden. Like you can, like I can do GM shit in Madden. Like I can, I can re-sign players and all that stuff. But honestly, I don't want to do that shit. No, I mean, I think it's like the fun of it is playing of it. You know, I mean, I think yeah. that's the the thing with the Mets that, and I won't go too deep in the weeds on this, but the too late. the Korea, the Korea thing that what bothered me about that deal, and this is again in the story that I wrote about it. So much of this that that ostensible ankle injury is basically pegged to the insurable life of the metal plate that Korea got in his leg when he was nineteen years old after an injury in the minors. Okay. I don't think that there's been any evidence and there's been, you know, the Giants had a specialist look at it. They were unsure about how it was going to hold up. The Mets used the same specialist that gave Correa a no pass on his ankle, which there's a whole other conspiracy theory that the front office was trying to undo a move that Steve Cohen did whimsically while on vacation in Hawaii. 
I guess I did just get into it, but I'm not going to get into that further. I told you it was too late. Yeah. To me, the idea (laughs) idea of it coming down to you have a plan versus you have an opportunity to add this all-star for nothing but money. The Mets backing out was them picking their plan over the player. And that is the part that I don't like. The plan makes sense that basically it amounts to they want to be the Dodgers, which who wouldn't? But the way that that would work is you spend in the short term, you build up your farm system in the longer term. And so as players start arriving from the farm system, they're cheap, they're controllable, you have them for six or seven years. And that like makes it easier. Then you don't have to spend as much on free agents because you're producing your own stars. That makes sense when it works. But Cohen's owned the team for two years. The Mets minor league system is not producing players at that volume yet, of course, but it's also, it's not a lock that they're going to. And so the idea that you don't sign a guy to play third because you have a guy who might someday be available there or because you want to fill that position internally a few years down the line and you don't want to commit for more than two or three years, at that point, you're picking somebody who you don't even know who it is. You might not have even drafted them yet. If you're choosing that guy over Carlos Correa, then you're wrong. Because right. there's very little chance that that player is going to be as good. And yeah, that's, it's, it's always a it's weird thing when you're, when you're a fan, when you're torn between, okay, I'd like the guy who's provably good. I want the guy who might be good. And is yeah. also cheap. Yeah, so it's like, oh. Yeah, and that's, I think where the, you look at the Twins, their infield is more crowded now. But the thing with bringing back Korea, and he apparently really liked playing there, and he was very good last year, is like, he's not blocking anybody. This is just sort of thing where like, it's very rare and it's going to be increasingly rare because teams are locking these guys up to long deals where you can just go to the fucking baseball player store and solve a problem with your team. And so if you have that opportunity to do it, like you're, yes, you're going to be spending some money and there's some risk in that for the owners, but you're much more likely to get it right than if you try to go the really long and really difficult route. So I respect them for shooting their shot on that. It's not like whatever Royce Lewis will learn to play center field. It's fine. I also approve of solving any problem you have with money. I think right. it's the best way to go. This would be another good place to put an ad break. And you know had. what? <laughs> I'm not even really all that kidding when I say that. Like, no. You know, like, I remember like I had bladder problems. I was like, like I went to therapy and physical therapy and like, like trying to, like I got lots of tests and a camera up my dick. And I was like, Eventually, I was like, fuck it. I'll just pay for a pill. Someone give me a pill to make this all go away. So, like, I've had definitely had moments where I'm like, if I just spend some money somehow, everything I, will go away and I'll be I want to believe that's true. I think that's part of, like, getting older is, like, actually putting a price on that stuff. Where there's, like, a part of me that all through my 20s and, like, pretty much my 30s where I was sort of like, that's just how it is. Sometimes a family of raccoons moves into your apartment and you just learn to live with it. And, like, that's wrong. That's, like, very stupid, actually. Like, you should get the raccoons out. They don't they don't belong inside. And you deserve a raccoon-free living experience. I definitely know now as a dad, like, what I'm, uh, what, what I'm willing to give up where, like, you know, if someone's like, hey, we'll pay you $100 to go uh, camping for a week, uh, you know, in the middle of uh, the Everglades. I'll be like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Like, I know. I like a deal, but I don't, yeah. yeah. Not everything's an adventure. You don't want to be in the news as Anaconda Dad. Yeah. Hey, it's time for the guy of the week. Uh, Every week, 
Roth and I remember an athlete of your, not a Hall of Famer necessarily, but just a guy who makes you think, hey, I remember that guy. You ready to remember a guy, Roth? Hell yeah. I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball this week because it's not oh, an athlete baseball I'm going to give you. It's Chan Gailey. You remember that guy? Yes. Hell yeah, Chan Gailey. So Chan Gailey was, I remember him as a Bills coach, but I think he was, he's a Cowboys coordinator of note, no, right? He, Is that- was, he was head coach of the Bills and I think also the Cowboys. Shit, now I have to go check again. I'm pretty certain he was the head coach of the Cowboys for a cup of coffee. Chan Gailey is a hell of a football coach name. Yep. It is also like a decently good name for like an Eric Roberts character in a direct-to-video movie from Ooh. 1992. Ooh. Yeah. It does best also- Best of the best three, it, something it, like that. Yeah, it does have also John Grisham character vibes So Gailey it. was a offensive coordinator. Um, he, this is, I think, the, the best- that I have ever liked a team that I don't care for, like that I'm not a fan of. Um, during the last Herm Edwards year in Kansas City, Ooh, the Chiefs were down a million quarterbacks. Uh, it was like Damon Heward uh, was like hurt. They were just, it was a bad situation. And Gailey started running like a weird, like basically like Big 12 type offense, like a Johnny Manziel type offense. And this is like 2008 or 2009 with Tyler Thigpen, who is a guy whose jersey I own. Hey. Um, it's not, but they basically were trying to score 60 points because they knew their defense was going to give up 57 no matter what. Right. And I always respect a coordinator that is willing to get out there and be like, all right, let's try something stupid then because there's no way that anything smart is going to work. Oh, yeah. Like once, once every like month or so i always think to myself why don't they bring back the run and shoot like i always think that yeah (laughs) silver stretch that shit i mean it's like how much worse is it going to be than trying to have whatever uh skylar thompson clomping around out there like normal well also like the other thing is that like it exists like tom brady's entire career He's essentially been a run-and-shoot quarterback because he's never had a running game. And all he does is throw – he threw more passes this year than he's thrown in his entire career. So they they like – Tom Brady's like, just give me like four – five – give me five receiving options on every play, and I'll, I'll figure it out, and then I'll get divorced. That's uh, what – so that's my, my dream pairing for next year now is that Tom Brady and Jerry Glanville get together and start running like – <laughs> The 1992 Houston Oilers, everybody runs fly patterns offense and see how that works. Let's uh, let's open up the fun bag. These are real questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. Roth, this is from Kevin, and you might have to ruminate on this one. He asks, what's a band slash musician that you believe people only like because they think other people like them too? There's no reason to like them. They're not spectacular or anything. But people feel like being a fan is cool and it gives them credibility. And this is where Kevin Kevin gives Imagine Dragons as as one of his examples, <laughs> which I think is the opposite of what he's asking. Yeah. But anyway. I think Imagine Dragons is like like basically every white major league baseball player loves Imagine Dragons. Yes. <laughs> With some exceptions. You know, that's like we got our Sean Doolittle loves fish. There's an there's an exception that proves every rule. Yes, that's but true. But there is that that's like just weight room music. The one that has always baffled me are like online sort of fan community things, like people that are like I don't believe that people are pretending to like Taylor Swift or Beyonce or whatever. You know, they're talented 
artists. They've made interesting music, and there's a reason why fans love them so much. I am a little surprised that there are people who are using time on and off the clock in their daily life to look and see if someone has maybe said something critical about them and then to just try to fucking bury that person. Like, have you seen some of this with like yeah, I've seen people high writing like things. respectful reviews of Taylor Swift's album where they're like, I don't like this style that much for her. Like I like it more when she was doing the stuff like, you know, on red. And then there's just a million people with Taylor Swift avatars on Twitter being like, I'm in your fucking house. I'm there right now. <laughs> just, just wild to me. You might think I wouldn't leg with a kickstand, motherfucker. Yeah, it's just like, do you have an answer for this beyond that? Because I think for me, I'm, I'm just mostly like this, as with everything else. Right? I just kind of can't believe that other people are really like that. Sometimes I've but had, I'm sure that people are like that. I've had phases well. where, like, like I got kind of into Stereo Lab because I wanted to be a guy who was into Stereo Lab. Oh, that's an interesting choice, you know. Or like, like I, like I read about how Radiohead was influenced by like Autechre and and Aphex Twin. So I was like, maybe I'll see that. Maybe that would be cool. And it. It was nothing I wanted to listen to. Yes. But like, I definitely have had like the pull of like, like I remember when Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was like the album, like the most important, the American Kid A and all that stuff. And I was listening to it and like, it's a good album. It's a very good album. But I was, it was definitely boosted by the fact that I was listening to like a prestige album. Like that made me feel very important yeah. to be listening to it. Like, oh, all this lies are made of wishes. That's so Deep. That's it, Beth. Oh. He's really right, though. What was he cooking? Yeah, the I definitely feel that way about. I don't know that they have prestige records like that anymore because that was one that got the like NPR seal of approval as being like this is an important text. You should be ready to talk about this at parties. And then also, you know, like it did sell. Like they, you know, toured. It had that whole crazy backstory about them getting dumped from their label and. As I recall, I mean, I saw like the documentary about the making of it. Like I really did the whole shit with that. Wow. Look at you. Yeah. But I also do wonder to what extent that was like me being friends with a lot of people from Minnesota that really cared about them and also just being a part of that discourse at the time. Where I was just sort of like, well, I got to do my homework. I got to watch the fucking <laughs> Wilco documentary right now. I, I mean, people do that now, but it's like with Taylor Swift. <laughs> it's yeah. like it's with the people who need that sort of prestige uh, uh, lift the least. Right, which is really weird to me. The idea of being like, well, my thing, like, you might think I'm crazy. The thing I'm into, more than anything else, is the most popular thing in the world. <laughs> right. like, that is just the opposite of how it was when I uh, was younger. But That's right. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to Jeff. This is the last one. Uh, Jeff says, last week it dawned on me that I have a preference between streets that run either north-south or east-west. East-west streets almost always seem a little cooler to me. I have no idea why this is. I grew up on east-west street, and I currently live on east-west street, but I don't think this is why. Maybe I've just randomly had better experiences on east-west streets. Why else could this be? I have an answer for this, Roth, but I want you to think about I want to hear your answer to this, because I live in a, in a city with a grid format on its streets, so I can... Like, my answer is very boring, but I'm just sort of like, yeah, the east-west ones are smaller. Got more shops on them. The uh, up, uptown, downtown ones are uh, bigger. Right, yeah, That's yeah. Because the avenues in New York are, are busy and annoying. So you get the, yes. sh- the streets are, like, they have life, the life on them. But the worst streets in New York are the really big, annoying crosstown streets, though. Like, I think uh, 23rd oh, like Street and 34th Street in Manhattan. Oh, brother. Yeah, yeah, those me, suck. Oh, brother, that is not great. 
So uh, my answer is actually, uh, it's because of the sunrise and sunset. So you are getting yeah. the arc of the sun at the end of your street to the other end of your street over the course of the day. And that's very nice as opposed to yeah. it. I think my, I think my, uh, my street faces north. So I get the sun coming up uh, behind the house in the morning and then over the house. But I like, there's a lot of houses and trees and all that shit. So I don't really get much majesty of it. But with a street, if your street does it, you get a clear view, particularly in New York. So that's very, very nice. Yeah. Sometimes. I think it's, that is, happens to be both narratively neat and uh, actually logistically Correct. That's right. And I'm going to ask uh, Adam Thielen about that the next time I see him. You should tentatively approach him while he's mostly nude and be like, what kind of streets do you like? (laughs) (laughs) So it's time for the end credits. And uh, I think you're used to the end credits being one way uh, over the past few years. But uh, we have a new production company called Multitude. And we have a new producer. His name's Eric Silver. And Eric's going to join us for a moment to talk about our new direction. It's going to be Jazz Odyssey, Eric Silva. Hello. I've been here the Hello. whole time. Just wow. sitting oh in the God. background. I do feel like I'm Tony Reale on PTI, but instead of giving you corrections, are like, man, these are the jokes I wanted to say during your conversation. I appreciate it. By the way, Eric, does, is Reale still Stat Boy? On PTI? I think so. I think that even though he's like like 10 uh, job titles higher, like hosting right. <laughs> hosting um, around the horn, I think he still pops in for PTI. But then again, I haven't watched PTI really all that much since high school. Nor so I. someone else can tell me if I'm wrong. It would be wild if it was the sort of thing that he's just ascended to the heights. He's like the most admired man on ESPN, and then he still has to show up for half an hour a day to get insulted by Tony Kornheiser. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tough business. To have Tony Kornheiser be like, shine my shoes. <laughs> and listen, that's probably written in as like mandatory workplace uh, experience at ESPN that they have to do monthly anyway. Yep. The, like the disclaimer thing. they made us uh, sign at Vice where it's like, you might be exposed to extreme shit. <laughs> like in this case, it's like Tony Kornheiser. That being is like, fucking wild, man. Tony Kornheiser being like, I said coleslaw with this sandwich and they gave me a pickle. So Eric, talk to us about... Uh, the show, what, uh, is anything changing? Uh, do we have to have like Obama on every week to get our ratings up? What's going Should on? Should I fix my personality? <laughs> no, I can't, that can't happen. I know the answer to that. No, it's mostly just going to be bareback, uh, ad, uh, okay. <laughs> Love just bareback bare ads mostly. Uh, no, honestly, nothing is going to change as you've moved over to a new production team, which I'm very excited to do with our editor, Brandon Grugel. Um, listen, I've been listening to the show since like the second episode. Uh, I loved y'all at Deadspin. I was reading you all throughout college. And Aww. as Defector showed up, I was subscribing from the first day and I was listening to the show. So like when the opportunity came for Multitude to work on the show, I'm like, oh, great. We're going to make sure that Chris Bosch feels comfortable and not want to run away. That's what <laughs> we're going to do so i'm really excited to do this i just want y'all to be yourselves this is the you know the distraction and it always has the defector podcast written on there and that's how i feel and i'm really excited to work with both of you multitude is an independent podcasting company like we make our own shows and we uh, do show production like we're doing for y'all and we sell ads like we're doing for you and for other people and for our own shows Uh, and we're like a small business like defector is yeah 
linked or I feel like we're aligning in this way. All the stuff that you two and everyone at Defector have been talking about in the blogging sphere happened like when I was in college. And then when I got out of college, I'm like, I want to work at the Village Voice. And then they're like, no jobs. There's never been any jobs. <laughs> yeah. Who told you they were jobs? <laughs> there. What's the Village Voice that doesn't exist anymore? It's now Bareback Sportsbook. <laughs> Bareback Sportsbook. It's in the back. <laughs> <laughs> so like the similar thing that was happening from that time in the late 2000 aughts through the 2010s is now starting to happen in podcasting. And you might have seen this with the spot with like Spotify news and all the consolidation that's happening. Um, so we're, I mean, we're a small business. We do this for podcasts and we're trying to like, you know, you can be good and still be a business at the same time. Yeah. Who would have thought? This is the, uh, the future that we actually, this is not a joke that we want to see is uh, trying to do a good job and run a profitable cash business making work that you are proud of instead of trying to take over the entire world. I, I think it I think it can work because actually this is the point where I revealed that Eric actually isn't our producer. He's a defector accomplice and we let him come on and pose as our producer uh, so that he could uh, <laughs> that he could talk to us and, and have fun. So All I want is Ray Ratter to call me Comrade Silver. It, I'm working on it. So if that could happen, that, that would be wonderful. We can make that happen for Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, we can do it. Ratto, come on because Ratto's better at this than we are. So like, like once in a while, like when we don't have a guest, we're like, fuck, we, we hit the rando button. Like it's a big red button next to my head. He wakes up real early in San Francisco and just absolutely waxes us. Yeah, yeah. And he just place. gets on. And he's like, what do you want? And we're like, oh, there's that rando charm. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely incredible. So the things that are changing, or hopefully we can make this sound as good as it possibly can be. The content is going to be what y'all are doing. Now I know what guy of the week is now that I asked you to write out a sentence from what mm -hmm. guy of the week actually means uh but honestly that's that's really the only stuff that's going to happen and we're going to put ads on the show to make y'all make some money from podcasts and uh no one's gonna have to put on like bareback sports book unless we really want to because they're the best uh surefire way to make tons of money without any it's risk the only way Hell you gotta yeah. go bareback <laughs> i can't wait to milk that joke in literally every episode same let's, let's so next week we will finish destroying the bareback sports joke <laughs> that's right and then we'll we'll talk about the uh the title games but in the meantime eric silver is our producer Brandon Grugel is our editor, and our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ad and production services are by Multitude. And please go subscribe to Defector while you're at it. And Roth, I will see you next week. Thank you so much, guys. Happy right 2023. Bye. Bye. Bye.